Welcome back once again to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. Uh, This is the last episode on the Eucharist before we dive into talking more about the Mass. Um, But I tried to make this, I thought I was going to make this series of the Eucharist into one episode. It's turned into about four. I apologize, but trying to cover everything, but also make it digestible by cutting them up and making them shorter. So now this last episode, uh, we're going to dive into a pretty granular detail of John chapter 6, the Bread of Life Discourse. And whereas the last episode we were talking about Jesus's uh, feeding of the 5,000 and the Last Supper accounts in each of the Gospels and in 1 Corinthians with St. Paul. So I this is the last episode, but I pray uh, that you really enjoyed this series. I have truly enthusiastically enjoyed and loved talking about Jesus in the Eucharist, and I am praying for all of you to fall in love with Jesus in the Eucharist. And so now let's talk about John 6 a little bit more, if you focus in on John 6, okay? So this is just after the fourth sign of John's gospel, where he's talking about the miracle of the 5,000, and then the, Jesus walks on water in, at, in that evening, and then right after that, the next day, still the time of the Passover, this is the bread of life discourse. So we're going to see that at the time of Passover, Jesus is talking about a few different things. First, he identifies himself as the Lamb of God, right? So he is the Lamb at the Passover where everyone's uh, partaking of this this communion meal of a lamb. So Jesus is the Lamb there. But then here at the time of the Passover, uh, either one or two years before his actual institution of the Eucharist on Holy Thursday uh, in the upper room, at the time of Passover, here at Passover, he is talking about two different things in the John 6 Bread of Life discourse. First, he's talking about his divinity. So he's saying that he came from heaven. People don't believe him. So this is why John even wrote the Gospel of John is because there was a heretic saying that Jesus was not divine. So close to the year 90 when Jesus, when John wrote this Gospel, uh, he was specifically writing it because people were heretically saying that Jesus wasn't divine. So he's writing this. And in John 6, we see these two points right here, that he is divine and people don't believe him, that he came from heaven. And then he said that he is going to give his flesh to eat and and his blood to drink. And guess what? People don't believe him and people leave him for both instances, saying that he is God and then saying that he's going to give his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. So people leave. And then um, when he talks about this... Uh, it, and when he talks about um, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, when people don't understand, his language gets even stronger. He changes it from like eating his flesh to chewing and gnawing on flesh. Like it's it, like it's the term, the Greek word that's used there is almost like gnawing on. So it's like something that you would do on like a piece of meat. So when people are like, how is this so? Jesus is like, truly, truly, I tell you, if you don't eat my, like if you don't chew or gnaw on my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. So I'm going to read through that really quick. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. I'm actually just going to kind of hop around on the bread of life discourse. But so this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. He says, beginning in John 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So he's already referencing back to the feeding of the 5,000 sign that he gave the day before on the, on the day of Passover. 
Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him has God the Father set his seal. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So now he's talking about his divinity. My Father uh, gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Still talking about his divinity coming down, him talking about himself coming down from heaven from the Father, but he's also starting to connect it with this bread, this true bread from heaven, right? Then in verse 35, it continues, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And a few verses later, I have come down from heaven. And this was the first uh, point of contention for the Jewish people. Jesus is saying that he is God. He is divine. He came from the Father. He came from heaven. And people don't believe in him because what does it say a few verses later? The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And that they said, not this, this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then he goes on to say in a uh, few verses later, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. He's connecting it to the manna, the miraculous bread from heaven, the bread of angels in the Old Testament. The father, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So now he's connecting this bread of life with his flesh. Then a few few verses later, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he, he who eats me will live, me will live because of me. That's some strong language. He who eats this bread will live forever. So literally, he starts with that he is the bread from heaven that came down. Then he connects this bread uh, with his flesh, that this bread that he will give for the life of the world is his flesh. And then he says, unless you eat this flesh and drink his blood, you have no life within you. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood and abides in me and I in him. And then, he's, then he goes into how this is going to be. How will you eat my flesh and drink my blood? And he says, he who eats this bread will live forever. So now he talks about this bread again, right? So the flesh and, his, and this bread, his flesh will be in this bread. And then starting in verse 60, many of his disciples, when they, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said to him, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But these are some of you. But there are some of you that do not believe. And then in John 6, 66. Coincidence? I don't know. But this is when many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. So people that were disciples of Jesus left because they knew he was speaking literally and they could not 
understand. They could not accept it. They did not have faith. They left because of Jesus in the Eucharist. This is the contention point. Jesus said to the 12, then he looks at his own, his best friends, the 12 people that he chose from the world. Will you also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Isn't that just incredible? Like how powerful Jesus' words are there and how, uh, yeah, just is just so profound. So let's, let's pull out a few things. And we worked through that quite a bit already. But so Jesus asked Peter at the end if the apostles want to leave too. But Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have come to believe that you are the son of the living God. And this is precisely Jesus' point in this entire dialogue, that he truly is divine from heaven and he truly will give his flesh for the life of the world. That is the point of this entire dialogue. These people that were contending against his divinity, Jesus said, nope, I truly am divine. People that were contending with him giving his flesh for the life of the world and that we were going to eat this flesh, eat his flesh and drink his blood, they were said, no, that's way too much, Jesus. I was a disciple of yours. I can't do it anymore. But Jesus says to his own apostles after people leave him in John 6, 66, will you also leave? Do you not believe this? And even though they don't understand it, they say that we have come to believe. We know because Jesus, you are God and whatever you say and do, we believe it. And so the these apostles that still choose to follow Jesus, they didn't even understand. They don't, they don't understand just as much as the people who left Jesus because of this teaching on of Jesus in the Eucharist, but they will follow him wherever he goes because Jesus to whom shall we go, they say, right? So they're saying, I don't understand, but I'm going to follow you and do whatever you tell me to do. And it's the same thing with us, right? So at the, at the time, the apostles don't understand this teaching, but at the Last Supper, when Jesus says this is my body and this is my blood of the new covenant under the appearances of bread and wine. They finally understand how Jesus said that as he is the lamb of God and he is also the bread from heaven that he was going to give his body and blood for us to eat and drink because his body is true food and his blood is true drink. And this is the supper, that last supper on the night of the Passover. This is the way that he was going to give, institute the Eucharist in order for us to receive his body and blood of Jesus. And that's why the apostles' eyes are open in Luke 20, the the disciples eyes are open in Luke 24 and why St. Paul says in the first Corinthians that our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us hold fast to the feast. In other words, we have to eat it just like Jesus said in first Corinthians 10. This is a direct participation, communion with the body and blood of Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 11, the institution narrative, and if we don't discern the body and blood of Jesus, we can draw judgment upon ourselves. So they finally understand how Jesus was going to give his body and blood for us to eat and drink. It's true food and it is true drink. And that's the same thing with us here and now. At times, it can be hard to believe or to understand how what looks like bread and feels like bread or looks like wine and tastes like wine can be the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. But we have come to know and we believe that Jesus has the words of everlasting life and he is the Lord, he is God, Messiah. And whatever he says, we believe, including this his precise teaching on the Eucharist. And so just a few other aspects of this entire dialogue in, John, in the Bread of Life discourse and also some um, more apologetics or people, uh, some verses that 
uh, people will use against this, the Eucharist. So first thing, Jesus said in John 6, 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you have no life within you, right? So there's a, Jesus, this, this, uh, language that he uses unless you do such and such so uh in john uh and john 3 5 he says unless one is born of water and spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god and here he says unless you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man you have no life within you and drink his blood you have no life within you these terms are covenantal terms of the old testament so these are uh, consistent with the very same terms applied at the Old Testament covenant, such as Abraham at Moriah and Moses at Sinai. And this is applied by St. Paul in, in, uh, with uh, the people at the church at Corinth and 1 Corinthians, and it's used today. Unless you do these things, you have no life within you. Unless you do this, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking plainly about his covenant that is going to be in Jesus, our, the way to live out this Christian life. And some will point to the verse where Jesus himself says, it's the spirit that gives life, but the flesh is of no avail. But Jesus is not talking about his flesh because literally in John 6, 51, he just said it's his flesh that is going to give salvation. He said that he will give his flesh for the life of the world. It's his flesh that gives life to the world. So he's not talking about his flesh. So then what is he talking about? It's the spirit that gives life, but the flesh is of no avail. He's talking about our fleshy earthly desires, our earthly understanding as human beings is not what is of avail. It's the spirit that gives life. He's saying it's the Holy Spirit that will be living in us that will give us uh, give us more understanding and give us faith, right? So, uh, and even St. Paul makes this distinction in Romans 7 uh, where he's talking about his earthly and fleshy desires. He's talking about the desires that he had before Jesus. And then in Romans 8, he's literally, he he distinguishes Romans 7 with Romans 8, where he's talking about life in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is literally talking about, uh, it's the spirit of our, it's our spirit that gives life, but our fleshly and earthly desires, even though we don't understand it, is of no avail. And another verse from John 6 that people will pull out is when Jesus says, what I have spoken is spirit and life. As if like that means that's a, it's a metaphor, but that does not mean it's a metaphor. It means it's the truth and life, because even in John four twenty five, Jesus says that God is spirit. Does that equate to God is a metaphor? Of course not. G- God is truth. Jesus is truth. What he is speaking is truth and life, spirit and life. And some people will say, well, Jesus spoke in parables all the time. And so, and he could, because he also called himself a door, he called himself a vine. Is he literally a door? Is he literally a vine? Well, that doesn't mean that everything else he said were parables or in meta, were in metaphor because he literally spoke about his death and resurrection and that actually happened, right? So you can't say everything is a parable or everything is a metaphor, but also look at the reactions to his listeners at, in the context of all of those. So, in all of those other cases where he's t- talking about being the door and the vine, people don't react to it uh, very abruptly or don't understand it. They literally accept what he's saying because they are saying, okay, yes, you are the door to salvation. You are the vine. We are the branches and you are, you are the one that gives life to us. And uh, from you, are, we're going to be bearing fruit, right? So these are, these are metaphors of and uh, how for us to understand how to connect with Jesus. However, in this case though, everybody is taking him literally. And how do we know that? Because they challenged him and they left him. 
They are like, this guy is crazy. What he's saying is way too much. And they left him and went on their former way of lives. And these aren't people that were just coming to listen to him for the first time. These are people that have been following him at this time for either a year or two years in his earthly ministry. And people were disciples of Jesus. They were beginning to believe in him. They saw the signs and wonders that he did. But this teaching was too much for them and they left. They knew he was speaking literally and they took him literally and therefore he left. And also, furthermore, there are instances throughout scripture where people do not understand Jesus, but he clarifies. Just like when he was talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, he was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. And when they didn't understand what they were, what Jesus was talking about, he literally said, come on, guys, I'm talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. He clarifies what he is meaning. Like, do you not yet understand? Let me clarify it. He doesn't do that in this John 6. He doesn't clarify his meaning. Actually, he does the exact opposite as far as like uh, bringing out um, a meaning that they don't understand. When they don't understand it, they're like, how is this going to be? He goes even stronger. He starts using stronger language for his flesh that he was gonna, people were going to chew on, his blood that people are really going to drink. And so right here, we see that Jesus doesn't soften his language. He actually makes it stronger, but he does soften his language in other places. He clarifies his, he clarifies his uh, teachings when people don't understand. But here, People do understand, and yet he strengthens it even more. He said, are you guys going to believe in this or not? And so, yeah, that's John 6. How awesome is that? Jesus truly means it. And so, and like we mentioned before, in 1 Corinthians 5, St. Paul says, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Let us hold fast to the feast. And so you had to eat the lamb. Jesus said right here, you had to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have life within you. And so, you had to eat the lamb. And who is the lamb? Jesus. All throughout the Gospel of John, uh, John the Baptist identifies him. There he is. There's the lamb of God. There's the fulfillment of the the God, the promise that God made to Abraham when he said, God, I will provide a lamb. And this is the fulfillment of the lamb that was that was used in the Passover event and then in the Passover meal. There's This is the lamb of God that is truly going to take away the sins of the world. And this is the same uh, then that gospel of John, when he's talking about the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins. And even, even in the other smaller details of the gospel of John, he pulls out that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb and the high priest that is offering the lamb. So he is both offer, offeree and the offering. So uh, you can even see when he talks about the sixth hour, that was uh, the hours of his passion. The sixth hour, that was when the preparation of the lamb was to be slain. The ninth hour is when the, the lamb was actually slain. So Jesus died on the ninth hour. They used a hyssop branch to give Jesus wine, uh, the vinegar or wine. And that was ex- a direct reference back to the hyssop branch that was used on the doorpost on the, the night of the Passover when the Israelites put the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, their doorpost to to save them when they were uh, in captivity in Egypt. And and so, and then Jesus also, he's wearing a tunic without a seam, which is woven from top to bottom. That is a high priestly garment. That it was what the high priest wore. And so all of these things are pointing to Jesus being the Lamb of God and the high priest in the Gospel of John, right? So Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God. That same author who wrote the, the book of Revelation at the very end who does he see in heaven that everybody is worshiping and is God and is king and is reigning over heaven and earth? It's a lamb as if slain. You see the, the word lamb, I think, come up nine plus times in the Revelation. Jesus is referred to as the lamb as if slain. That's 
present through all eternity. And so there's the lamb, right? So St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, when he says, let us hold fast to the feast, he's talking about we have to eat the lamb. We still have this work to do when Jesus says, do this in memory of me and take this and eat to my body and drink my blood at the Last Supper. We need to do that or else we don't have life within us, right? So another beautiful thing, and this is what I'll end the this, this uh, episode with, is in the book of Revelation, right? Like I just said, it's the Lamb of God as if slain. So Jesus, in he is he is glorified, and yet his sacrifice is eternally present, right? So he reigns as King. He's victor. He's victorious over death and sin and everything. He's destroyed that, but also he is the Lamb as if slain in, in heaven as well. He is his sacrifice on the cross is eternally present. And this is extremely consistent with all the Eucharistic miracles that we were talking about a few episodes ago in our first episode talking about the Eucharist. Remember the Eucharistic miracles, every single one, it was from the heart of a man that was 33 years old, Jesus, a man, 33 years old, was in shock. Uh, The Eucharist, the blood from the Eucharist was in shock from extreme torture and suffering and blood type AB, the universal recipient. Well, Jesus, he was extreme in extreme shock. He was brutally tortured and suffered. His He gives life for the world and he receives all of us, right? So his blood type AB. But also this blood is moving and is still alive. And that's the most miraculous part about it, that every single Eucharist contains both his glory and his sacrifice, one in one. And that's extremely consistent with what we just read or uh, what we just understood from the book of Revelation. He is the king. He reigns over heaven and earth. And yet he is also the lamb of God as if slain. And using the the words of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, this is the blood. This is the, this is the body and blood. This is the king, the lamb as if slain that we participate, we have communion with, right? So this flesh and blood of Jesus, we partake in, we participate in that sacrifice, that also that sacrifice and yet also that eternal glory, his glorified body we receive every single time we come to Mass. And also consistent with what the church teaches about the Eucharist, where the bread and wine are no more. It is not bread and it is not wine. It's only Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Every single time a Eucharistic miracle has happened, they the when they look at it, they can tell that they're this human flesh that they're inspecting, this blood that they're looking at, literally replaced the bread. And these there's scientists all over the world that have studied these, and literally it's this transubstantiation that that the Catholic Church has been teaching for two thousand years that it's only Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so how awesome is that? That Jesus loves us that much that he wants to make present that sacrifice that he gave on the cross, that one eternal sacrifice that he gave on the cross. He wants us to participate and he wants us to feel and experience and encounter that eternal love that was given once and for all on the cross. He wants us to experience that through every single age, through every single part of the earth, every single mass you go to, that is what you are encountering is that one eternal sacrifice on the cross, the, the Jesus giving life for the world. And that is, we're going to talk about the Mass later, but that's also the fulfillment of Malachi 1.11, where the Jews of the Old Testament, they used to go to one place in Jerusalem to give sacrifice. And yet, in, first, in Malachi 1.11, the last prophet of the Old Testament, he, he prophesies that there's going to be uh, sacri- this 
this one pure offering offered throughout the entire world. That is a direct uh, like contrast to what the Jews were doing at that time for sacrifices where they would go to one place, but yet, and they would offer many sacrifices, and yet Jesus offers one sacrifice in many places all throughout the world, and that is fulfilled in the Catholic Mass, that is fulfilled in the Catholic teaching, and that is fulfilled every single time we go to the to the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's that same love that Jesus gave on the cross, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. He held nothing back from us. And every single time we go to Mass, he holds nothing back from us. And if we could only discern that it is truly the body and blood of Jesus and have faith that every single time we partake in him, he it's his life that lives in us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's his spirit that gives life. We, we become partakers of the divine nature and we become truly conformed to the heart of Jesus. We become more, we, it's theosis. We become more like Jesus. And that's what we want to do to bring the heaven to earth. And that is what is happening at every mass. And that's how the Lord wants to work through us when we leave mass to go transform the world around us. And he gives us the strength because he is the daily bread, the miraculous bread from heaven that came down from heaven and gives life to the world. He does that every single day, every single time you go to Mass. And this is why I go to daily Mass is because it's, he's my best friend and it is true that this grace that he gives me to defeat uh, shortcomings or failures in my life or struggles or temptations, it's Jesus in the Eucharist that gives me strength. Jesus revealed to me that every single time I come to Jesus in the Eucharist, it's that John seven thirty seven that he said, all who come to me believe will receive streams of life-giving water. And so, and that is so consistent also with the book of Revelation because it's from this Lamb of God where this river of living water would come from. It's the book of Ezekiel from that temple that streams of living water would flow from. And it's receiving Jesus, his life, his divinity. I become more conformed to him and that's what he wants to do in all of us. And so every single time you go to mass, just keep falling in love with Jesus. Ask him, Jesus, I want a hunger. I want a awareness. I want more of a presence of mind that every single time I see you in the Eucharist, it is you. Jesus. I want to feel you more like never before. And he will grant that to you. Oh, Jesus is awesome. We love you, Lord. I am praying for you all. I'm super excited. I'm going to keep on the Eucharistic topic by talking about the sacrifice of the mass. Um, and we're going to go through it in quite a few detail. We'll probably do three to four episodes on just the mass itself. So I'm super excited for that. And I cannot wait to talk about that some more with all of you, my friends. God bless you. And I'm going to be praying for all of you that you fall more in love with Jesus in the Eucharist if you are Catholic. And if you are not Catholic, I am praying for you that you come to the Eucharistic table, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the one sacrifice that Jesus gave. He wants that. He wants you to encounter that through the body, blood, soul, and divinity of himself in the Eucharist at a Catholic Mass. So I'm praying for you all. God bless you.